open up our Bibles to Mark chapter 12, as today we're going to continue our series for the foundations of our faith. Last week we went over the Bible, and this week we were going to go over the triune God, uh, or the Trinity. Uh, last week I mentioned to you the fact that if you wanted to, you can take a quiz afterwards, and I was so blessed uh, by those of you who did. I'm so proud of you. For the most part, you all did well. There were a few of you here, you got to retake it, but that's all right. <laughs> now, we're going to have the opportunity again, so I would encourage you to listen uh, to the study, and then afterwards, uh, you can uh, take the quiz, and I'll tell you what, it's, it's kind of cool, uh, real simple, um, but you're going to have to know a few things, okay? So if you, I don't know if we have the link here, if not, just let us know, send me an email, ask somebody, we'll show you exactly where the quiz is online to take the quiz. But one of the things you're going to have to know, and you're going to have to commit this to memory, is the definition of the Trinity. So here's the thing, you know, when it comes to God, you know, for us as Christians here, we don't believe necessarily in some artificial, superficial religion. You know, religion in our connotation is kind of like just us trying to reach God on our own efforts and going through whatever the ceremony is that's been handed down through tradition. Uh, that's the way we would perceive religion. No, we believe in a relationship with God, okay? So when you get saved, you know, and all you got to do, man, is believe. You know, if you're here today and maybe someone invited you and you don't have a relationship with God, you're not saved, you don't know if you're forgiven, man, all you have to do is know that you're a sinner, but Jesus died for you. Are you willing to turn from the sin and receive Christ as Lord and Savior today? Just Believe. Believe today. Believe in Christ. Believe in the cross. Believe in Him so that you can know for sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that when you die, you'll go to heaven. That's the gospel. That's the good news. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And so, you know, that's how we start this relationship. But now we, we continue in this relationship. And so anytime you get to know somebody, whether it be a friend, I can think of my wife, you know, getting to know her, getting to know uh, everything I can about her. Everything, man. I mean, you know, she, I, it took me a long time to learn the, the seized candies that she liked. And I remember I thought I was scoring points. But man, I came and she said, oh, I don't like those. I'm like, whoa. You know? <laughs> You got to learn this, you know, you got to learn uh, the, the, the people that you get to know, um, my wife, I want to learn everything about her. And don't you want to know and learn everything about God? I mean, that's what we should have in our hearts. And today, when we study the Trinity, we're going to study the details of who he is. And in the next coming weeks, we'll be able to uh, hone in on each one on the Father and the Son, who is our brother, and the Holy Spirit. And so it's going to be a blessing. Next week is Mother's Day, so we'll take that week off, and we're definitely going to just make it a day where we thank the moms uh, for what they do, who they are, but then, uh, Lord willing, in the future weeks, we'll pick it up. But the one thing you're going to have to know on our quiz today is the definition of the Trinity is defined as one God in three persons, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Equal in essence and nature, but not in function and office. So how many of you here think you can memorize that? I'm just curious. How many of you here think you can't memorize it? And the rest of you don't care, right? 
I pray that you would memorize that. You want to know why? Because I pray you would teach your children that. Because if you don't know who the Trinity is, if you don't know this definition, then one day you might get a knock at the door. It might be someone trying to sway you a different religion. As a pastor, I know, and I've seen it over the years, that if the, if the Christians don't know their Bible, they don't know doctrine, then someone comes in, they treat them really nice, but then they preach another Jesus. So you have to know this. It's, uh, it's so important. You know, one God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, equal in essence and nature, but not in function and office. It's not tritheism. It's not three gods. Neither is it modalism. There are some out there who will tell you that he's one God, but he puts on three different uniforms. And so one day he puts on the uniform that he's the Father, and then he takes that hat off, and he puts on a uniform, he's the Son. And then others uh, will say then the time comes where, you know, he is the Holy Spirit. No, it's not tritheism. It's not, it's not modalism, which is why, you know, it, it's difficult for us to understand. He's one God, but yet... Three, not separate, distinct persons. The unity of the Trinity is a mystery, but it is beautiful. You know, like, who saved you? Who saved you? Some will say, well, it was, it was Jesus, right? Because he, he died on the cross, and, and yeah, it, it was Jesus, but, but what about the Father? He gave his Son. What about the Father? He chose you before time began. So we'll say, well, it's the Father then. Well, what about the Son? And then there's the Holy Spirit. You know that the day that you got saved, you could not have been saved unless the Holy Spirit came and convicted you of your sin and pointed you to Jesus. And what we find basically in, the, in, in this God, this amazing God that we serve, is that, man, they're all involved in our life. The Father chose you before time began. The Son you know, saved you when he shed his blood on Calvary. The Holy Spirit saved you the day you were born again. And so some will say it's like the Father is the executive producer. The Holy Spirit is the director. Jesus Christ is a superstar, something like that, you know. And so um, we're learning about God. It's an amazing, who do you pray to? Can you pray to Jesus? Can you pray to the Holy Spirit? Uh, should we pray to the Father? You know, a lot of times people, they get them mixed up and they don't realize necessarily the distinction of the Godhead. Jesus taught us to pray to who? Our Father. So generally speaking, generally speaking, we pray to our Father in, in the name of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. But does that mean you can't pray to Jesus? Absolutely not. You can pray to Jesus. You can pray to the Holy Spirit. But generally speaking, we pray to our Father. That's who Jesus taught us to pray to, you see? And, and so, um, again, not saying it's wrong. Stephen prayed to Jesus. But, but as you begin to study the doctrine of the Trinity, and you begin to get to know who God really is, I tell you what, this is going to be one of the most important parts of your discipleship as a Christian. That's why in the Great Commission, do you remember what Jesus said? He says, uh, go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I command you. Lord, I'm with you always till the end of the age. But when we baptize you, it's not just water baptism that he's talking about. It's not just the day that you got baptized and we dunked you under water, you know, and the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's much more than that. 
It is a life, it is a church, it is a teaching in which we saturate you with the truth of who God really is. God is your your father. Do you understand that? We're going to dive into that. God is your father and God is your brother. That's Jesus. He's the son and we're going to look at him and just amazing how he is 100% God and 100% man. He was tempted in all points as we are, and yet without sin, and he shed his blood, and, and we're going to study him, and we're going to study the Holy Spirit and how awesome he is because really it's the Holy Spirit who teaches you the Bible, and it, but it's not enough to know the Bible because if you don't got the power to live the Bible without the power of the Holy Spirit, you won't bear fruit, you're not going to live it. You're not going to have joy. You're not going to have peace. You're not going to be effective even in the ministry that you endeavor to serve in. And so we're going to see as we go through all this that it is going to be one of the most wonderful studies in, in all of our life. And for me as a pastor, knowing my responsibility to baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, man, to me, I'm like, okay, Lord, this is exactly what you want. And so we know who God is, but it doesn't necessarily calculate. Do you guys ever, you guys ever experience this at home? Do you guys ever do this where you have the microwave on and the washer's on and the toaster oven's on and then the power goes out? Do you guys ever do that? Or am I the only one? <laughs> you blow a fuse. You ever blow a fuse? Well, that's what happens when you try to understand God. You blow a fuse. You're like, how can it be one God in three persons? And what we're going to see is it's tough. You know, a lot of times we try to use human illustrations. Some have used H2O being water, vapor, and ice, uh, different forms, you know, but they're all H2O. Another illustration would be the sun. Some like to say, well, it's like the sun. From it, we receive light, heat, and radiation. Again, three different aspects, and yet one sun. One popular illustration of the Trinity is the egg. How many of you have heard that illustration? They use the egg. You know, a chicken egg consists of a shell, a yolk, and an egg white, yet it's all together one. And so, um, I don't know, it's not a good illustration. It just makes you hungry, really, when you look at it. (laughs) The, The truth is, at the end of the day, there is no human illustration that can capture the divine revelation of who God is, okay? which is why the great evangelist John Wesley, he said, bring me a worm that can comprehend a man, and then you'll have a man that can comprehend God, right? We can't. We just can't, but that's okay. I know this. He's one God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, equal in essence and nature, but not necessarily in function and office. It's kind of like a you know, a, a husband and a wife, they're equal. In my opinion, women are probably even better than men, and yet God has made men to be the, the leader in the home, right? The Savior, you know, to, to lovingly servant lead his family. But they're equal in essence and nature. So same thing within the Godhead. They're equal. They've always existed. There wasn't a time where one wasn't there. But, you know, they're, they're not equal in function and office. And what you find is that the Father is highest and then the Son submits to Him and the Holy Spirit submits to them both. There's no rivalry within the Godhead. 
And this is important to know because when you read those passages and it seems to indicate that Christ is lesser, that's the only reason. And that's why it's so important when you understand they're equal in essence and nature but not in function and office, then you begin to read your Bible with this grid of theology and then this everything opens up with a greater understanding of who God is. You know, I'm grateful when I was a kid, even though I don't do the sign of the cross anymore, you know, you don't have to do that. But, but it, was, it was instilled within me at a young age, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's why I'm trying to tell you, parents and whoever you might be, to teach this catechism, so to speak. Let them commit this to memory because it will protect them from the cults who one day will try to stir them away, even though we can't necessarily understand it. You know, I remember reading a story about uh, Augustine who was puzzling over the doctrine of the Trinity. And one day he was walking along the beach when he saw a little boy with a bucket. And the little boy was running back and forth to bring water from the sea and to put it in the hole in the sand. And so Augustine asked the little boy, what you doing? And, and he said, well, I'm trying to put the ocean into the hole. And Augustine realized that he had been trying to fit an infinite God into his finite mind. You see, just as God has a love, and we were singing about it right now, that is incomprehensible, uh, just as God provides a peace that surpasses understanding, so true is, is the doctrine of the Trinity. It's beyond me. We don't have the capacity to completely comprehend him. But let me ask you a question. Just because you can't comprehend God, that, that truth, does that surprise you? No, it shouldn't surprise you anyway. I mean, none of us here, I don't care how smart you are, it doesn't matter how many degrees you have. I mean, it shouldn't surprise us that we can't comprehend God. What would surprise us if, is if we could, right? Because this great God who made everything by the power of his word, this great God who loves us with a love that we can't even begin to imagine, who saved us and redeemed us and has promised us that one day we'll be home with him in heaven. I mean, this God is the one that we're talking about. And so it doesn't surprise us that our creator is incomprehensible. But what we learned last week is that it doesn't matter, you know, the truth doesn't start with us. We know God because of the fact that he has revealed himself to us by the pages of scripture. And so even though we can't comprehend it, we submit to the revelation of who he is. And so looking at this, uh, what I wanted to start with is uh, some principles as we go through. Uh, when you guys take the quiz today, um, yeah, today, when you take the quiz today, um, no, I'm just joking, I'll do it today. But when you take the quiz one day, you'll have to, first of all, know the definition of the Trinity. And then secondly, you'll have to know that the Bible explicitly teaches that there is only one God. Okay, and we read that here in Mark chapter 12. And notice what we see here in Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 28. It says, then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, he asked Jesus, which is the first commandment of all? 
Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment, and the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment greater than these. And so the scribe said to him, Well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth, for there is, notice, one God. There is one God, and there is no other but he. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. That's, you see, that's how you please God, not necessarily with the sacrifices, but with the love. The way that you love God by obeying him. You just love him and you love everyone else, right? That's the greatest commandment. But as Jesus quotes here from Deuteronomy chapter 6 in verses 4 and 5, he begins with a Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And the scribe picks up on that and he says, Teacher, yeah, I agree, you're right, there's only one God. There's only one God. And when Jesus hears what he says, notice what Jesus says in verse 35, then Jesus answered and said, I'm sorry, uh, verse 34, and then when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, there it is, wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. All you have to do now, bro, is believe in me. See, so, so what the first point here I just want to highlight is that there's only one God. The Bible clearly teaches that, explicitly teaches that. There's no ambiguity about that. There's no confusion what the scriptures say. There's no doubt about it. There's only one God. And, you know, the, the children of Israel, this is where they would get into trouble in their histories whenever they struggled with that, that, the, you know, that there, there's only one God. When they veered away from this truth, that's when they were hurting themselves. And, and time and time again, they fell into idolatry until eventually God had to send them to Babylon. But when they went to Babylon, they finally learned that lesson, there's only one God, and I will never, ever, ever become an idolater. You don't bow down and pray to a statue of Mary or, or Jude or anyone else. There is only one God, we'll be fine. And there's no other ones. And well, what about so-and-so? Well, they believe in so-and-so. You know, no, we don't believe in pluralism. Well, the Bible teaches monotheism, only one God. And so the Jews, it took them a while to accept that because when you look back in history, what you find is that uh, the way that culture, you know, started is they believed there were local deities, you know, and the God of the Jews or the God of the Assyrians or the God of the Babylonians or the God of the different nations. And then they come to find, and Judaism reveals to us the fact that there's only one God for the whole wide world. And by the time we get to the New Testament, the Jews caught what was taught, that there's only one God, and so did the Christians, which is why we read Paul's words uh, to the Romans in chapter 3, verse 30, where he says there's one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Uh, only one God for Jew and Gentile. Uh, when Paul was writing as a pastor to another pastor, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, there's only 
one God, one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, and many other passages that teach us that truth, uh, like James 2.19. There's no doubt the Bible teaches monotheism. And so the Bible explicitly teaches there's only one God, but here's where it gets a little tough. The Bible then teaches that the Father is God, that the Son is God, and that the Spirit is God. Watch, if you turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And today is going to be one of those days where we're going to be turning to a lot of different scriptures. And uh, I think it's good to do that. Hopefully you guys learn where your books of the Bible are. But it's also good to be a Berean, you know, because you never know. One of the passages they put up on the overhead may not be put there accurately. So, you know, you get to see it in your word, you know, when you're looking at it on your lap. And Ephesians chapter 4, we read here in verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Now, it's interesting. um, As far as the Father being God, that's not really challenged, you know, across the board. Anyone who claims to be Christian, uh, they kind of all know that part about it, right? But it's something that we at least need to mention. One God, and we know that the Father is God. And so in this passage right here in Ephesians, which is a lot about unity. It's about the oneness. He's saying that, that he's weaving in the doctrine of the Trinity. Because look here again at verse 6. It says, there's one God and Father of all, who is above all, there he is, highest in function and office, and through all, and in you all. So let me ask you a question. What does it mean that he's through all? What does it mean that he's in you all? And you want to know what that means? that it is through all by Jesus. He is in you all by the Holy Spirit. And so even here where he's talking about God, our Father, even there we have the implications of the Trinity. This unity is so beyond us, but it's so important for us to embrace. And so the, the, the Father is God. That's why Jesus in Matthew 6, 9 He taught us to pray to our Father, right? And that's why in Malachi 2.10, the Bible says, Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? And so uh, here's something that, as a quick side note, maybe you're here and you never really had that dad. You never really had that father. You know, and they'll tell you, man, that'll cripple a man. That'll cripple a person if they never really had that that father figure in their life. But I'm telling you this, that the moment you become a Christian, all the, the previous part of life where your, where your father wasn't there, all of a sudden he just envelops you with his love and you enter into this relationship with God who is your father. You see, I never had that growing up. Never did. My dad, I had a biological father, but, you know, that's, that's about it. And it wasn't his fault because he didn't know the Lord, you know. But, but man, as far as, you know, him being present, him being my, my provider, him being my protector, him being my, my, my guide, 
had nothing. But it didn't matter because the day that I got saved, all of that was washed away. And all of a sudden, man, I had this father in my life. I had this father in my life that undoes, it undoes all the bad that I experienced. And I'm not saying we don't go through, you know, tough times as a result of that, but you can talk to anybody who really gets to know the Lord and they'll tell you that their void is no longer there because we have this Father. And we're going we're gonna to talk about that. We're going to open that up more as we study that doctrine. But number one, one God and the Father is God. Um, but then secondly, the, the Son is God. And so for that, we go to John chapter 1. And I know a lot of you know this verse, but it says in the beginning was the Word, John chapter 1, verse 1, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so how many of you here in your Bibles, just out of curiosity, the word, word, has a capital W? I'm just curious. Okay. See, because they knew there's something special going on here. This word, uh, it says in the beginning, so that takes you before anything was made. In the beginning, we talked to eternity past, was the word, and the word was with God. And literally in the Greek language, they were face to face. So he's with God, but then it says, and the word was God. And so you're like, wait a minute, man, time out. I think I just blew a fuse. Hold on, time time out. You just got done saying there was only one God. I mean, we read it, man. There's only one God. And then you said the Father's God, but now you're telling me the Word was with God and the Word is God. And in the Greek language, that's the emphasis on that last word, Thales. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's how it should be read. The whole uh, Gospel of John emphasizes the deity of Christ. In verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh. There's Jesus. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten, the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, uh, turn to John chapter 20, if you would. John chapter 20. Remember, uh, Jesus had appeared to the apostles and Thomas wasn't there. And so uh, in verse uh, 25, the other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. And so he, Thomas, said, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, stood in the midst and said, peace to you. He said to Thomas, reach your finger here. Look at my hands and reach your side hand here. Put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but Believing, imagine, can you imagine, can you enter into that moment? Can you? Here's Thomas, and he's a healthy skeptic. There's nothing wrong with wanting some proof in one sense, you know, even though he should have believed the testimony of them. It's okay, it's all, it's within us. And can you imagine the day in which Jesus appears and there he is, his nail scarred hands, his, you know, his side, he's all, man. Reach and Thomas there, I don't even know if he did it, but in the, in the presence of Jesus right there, look what he says in verse 28. Thomas answered and he said to him, My Lord and my God. 
Now, if Jesus wasn't God, Jesus would have said, hey, you better not say that. That's blasphemy. No, he received the worship. You see, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh. And here we see Thomas explicitly calling him God. We see it throughout the Bible. If you go back to Matthew chapter 1, In verse 23 of Matthew chapter 1, remember they're telling all this, uh, Jesus is going to be born, and, and Mary's like, well, how is this going to be possible? I, I don't know a man. But we read here in Matthew chapter 1, in verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated what? God with us. You know, and so, again, uh, uh, prophecy from Isaiah 7, verse 14. When Jesus came, they didn't necessarily call him Emmanuel. They called him Jesus. But what this is, is a description of who he was. It was God with us. And we see it over and over again. Uh, We see it, if you want to go to Romans chapter 9. Some people tell me, hey, Manny, when you tell us the reference, you, 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 you don't give us time to turn there, you know? And then, <laughs> sorry, but I'm going to slow down a little bit. Romans chapter 9, look what it says in verse 5. Of whom are the fathers, speaking of, uh, of the Jews, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. Amen. I mean, it doesn't get any clearer than that. And so, you know, a Jehovah Witness will come knocking at your door again and not trying to speak bad about them, but what they do is they try to steal people from the church. And my heart for you is, no, let it never happen to you. You know who Jesus is. Paul talks about how they come and they preach another Jesus. They believe he's Michael the Archangel, created by the Father. They don't believe he's God with a capital G. They believe he's a God with a small g. No, that's pluralism. There's only one God. But what we find is that even though I can't comprehend it, It's one God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We read the same thing in Hebrews 1, verse 8. When the Father is speaking to the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The Father calls the Son God. And so, you know, we see it in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and other places. And so, you know, one God... Uh, the Father is, is God, the Son is God, and there are many other things that we can point to, his words and his works, but, but, and then the third thing is the Holy Spirit is God, and we see that in Acts chapter 5. If you want to turn there. Acts chapter 5. Notice what we read in verse 1. It says, A certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. 
And so real quick, just to let you know what was going on, is that there was kind of like a movement. People were selling their stuff and giving it to the church. It wasn't an uh, obligation, uh, but it was just something that the Lord laid on Barnabas' heart and other people. And so Ananias and Sapphira, they sold their house, and they came and they brought it to the apostles, and they said, hey, we sold it you know, for this amount, and we've given it all to you, when in all reality, they lied. They, they sold it for 100000 and they gave it, you know, 50000 whatever the case may be. And so they, they shouldn't have done that. They were playing the hypocrite because they were wanting to look good in, in the presence of the church. And so uh, Peter knows what's going on in verse 3, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? Who did they lie to, according to that verse? They lied to the Holy Spirit. He says, well, it happened... Well, it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to who? To God. You see, when they lied to the Holy Spirit, they lied to God. And what we're finding is there's one God. The Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. And, and this is what we see ever so clearly. Now, some people will tell you, well, the Holy Spirit is not a person, the Holy Spirit is a force, you know, kind of like Star Wars, that type of thing. The force be with you, and you're like, you know, this impersonal wind or whatever. And the truth is, no, the Holy Spirit is a person. Here we see they lied to him. Jesus, in referring to him in John chapter 14, John chapter 16, he never said it. He always said he. He will be with you. He will comfort you. He will guide you into all truth. Not a, not a force, but a, but a person, he. And then, you know, when you look at the Holy Spirit, there's a real neat passage in Ephesians chapter 4, if you want to turn there real quick. Ephesians chapter 4, and I want to pick it up actually in verse 29 where it says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. And so I've always liked this verse right here because um, it, it, we all struggle with the things that we say. You know, and sometimes we say things that we shouldn't say. And the mature man, the mature woman, they learn to tame their tongue. It, it says, let no corrupt word, let no rotten word, let nothing, you know, that is going to tear someone down, let it not come out of your mouth but that what is good for necessary edification to, to build uh, them up, that it may impart grace to the hearers. How many of you here, you mess up with your tongue sometimes, with your mouth, right? All right, so let's, all of you who raise your hand, I want you to get on your knees right now. Ask God for forgiveness. <laughs> no, um, you know, he says, no. You know, when you're talking to your, your, your children, your parents, your friends, when you're talking about, you know, your friends, Nothing rotten, nothing corrupt, nothing derogatory. You know, on the contrary, let it be things that, that are, are good, edifying, building them up. Because notice what he says next. I think that these kind of go hand in hand. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Because when we say that wrong word that we shouldn't say, do you ever feel like a pain inside of you? like, oh man, I shouldn't, have, I shouldn't have said that. That's the Holy Spirit. And what you're doing is you're grieving the Holy Spirit. And what we find is the Holy Spirit 
is a person, not a force. He can be lied to. He has emotions, as we see it right here, and he has volition. Because later in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 11, it says, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. And so if you can choose, if you have emotion, if you have volition, if you can be lied to, if you're called he by Jesus, you're not a force, you're a person. And this is what we learn. We learn about God, that there's only one God, but he is in, in, has manifested himself. He is God in three persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, equal in essence and nature, but not in function and office. And we begin to take this to heart. Uh, we have a, a, an ancient diagram of the Trinity that, that I want to show you guys. And uh, it's kind of cool because in looking at this, you'll see that the Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God, but they're not each other. You know, and that's why this diagram does help us to understand this. And so you'll see it explicitly taught throughout the Bible. Let me give you some references to write down that we'll, you can turn to where it's implicitly taught. And uh, remember I told you last week that the new is in the old concealed and the old is in the new revealed. So you go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, at the creation of man... It says, then God said, let us make man in our image. Who's God talking to? It's a conversation between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because you're not created in the image of angels. You're not created in the image of man. Then God said, let us make man in our image. Genesis 1.26, not only the creation of man, but the commission of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah you know, was forgiven, and then he didn't know what to do next. And then he heard the voice of God. God said, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Again, there's a conversation going on between the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Not just who will go for me. No, who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. At the conception of Christ, when Mary said, how can this be? I, I haven't had sexual intimacy with anyone. How can I be pregnant? And then the angel told her, the power of the highest, who's that? That's a father, will overshadow you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. That one, that holy one, that's Jesus, it's going to happen. Luke 1.35. You see it implicitly taught throughout the scriptures. Remember at the baptism of Jesus, when he was there getting baptized? Do you remember what happened? The heavens opened and a voice came and said, you are my beloved son. Who's talking? It's the Father. And what fell on Jesus? The Holy Spirit. You see the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. You see in the teachings of Christ in John 14 6 and 16, you see in Paul's closing to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 13 and 14. I encourage you uh, to look that one up. But the one I want you to turn to is Matthew 28. I love this one. In Matthew 28, we, hear, we see it implicitly taught in verse uh, 19. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Think about that, you guys. All authority has been given to Jesus in heaven and on earth. And so he says, Go therefore and have a good time. No, I was joking. He doesn't say that, right? This is what I want you to be doing. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them 
in the name. Now notice the word name. It's not plural. It's not in the names. It's in the name. It's singular in the Greek language as well, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You see, there it is again. Teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Who's with you? <laughs> Jesus. Jesus. Right here, Jesus said, I'm with you, but you got the Holy Spirit living inside of you. The Father says, Come, I'll make my home in him. It's amazing. This God that we, that we serve, this one who has all authority in heaven and earth, he's with you. And I don't know if you ever feel like I do. I don't feel worthy. I don't feel worthy. I, I blow it sometimes, or I feel down or depressed, or, you know, I just don't really got it going. But then I just kind of get amped up. I get, I get encouraged by the truth. He's not saying, well, if you're a good Christian, I'll be with you. He's not saying if you're a super saint, I'll be with you. He just says you're a Christian. You believe in the blood? Do you believe in the blood? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? And I'm with you. Always. Even in El Monte, I'm with you. <laughs> to the end of the age. I'm excited about this study, about getting to know God getting to know my father, getting to know my brother. And again, I don't want to you know, make you cry, but I never had a brother. I never had a sibling. Now, some of you are thinking, you're lucky. Listen, um, <laughs> absolutely not. Man, I, I wish I would have had a brother. How awesome it would have been to have a brother. But I do. I have Jesus. You know, I have the Holy Spirit. I mean, think about that. What's the Holy Spirit? He's the one who makes me holy. He's, he gives me wisdom and he gives me power. So I just pray that we would know this and that you would take the quiz. <laughs> <laughs> and, and more than anything else is this, okay? Because, uh, yeah, that's a test. But there's a greater test coming. One day you're going to stand before God. And the only question will be, I guess, you know, there's different ways to word it, is, is right here, right now, today, in the world that we live in, right here, right now, you've got to make a decision. Do you know he loves you? Do you know that? Let me ask you a question. Do you love him? Do you love him? He died for you on a cross. All he's asking is, as he's saying, come and let's have a relationship together that you say yes. Not a religion. Not a religion. It's a relationship between you and God. You can make that decision today. And you don't try to figure it all out. Don't try to think, oh, I don't know about this and it kind of complicates things and all that kind of stuff or what about this? Just, just, just that right there. Jesus shed his blood on Calvary to save you from the penalty of sin, which is hell. He wants you to be with him forever in heaven. All you have to do is say, yes. Yes, Lord. It was so cool how they were singing that song earlier. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord 
shall be saved. You can leave the same way you came. You can leave lost, dead in your sins, unforgiven. You can leave and say, I'll never go back. You are free. You are free to do that. But you can leave a forgiven man. You can leave a forgiven woman. You can leave in right relationship with God. All you have to do in your heart right here is say, yes, Lord. I need you. I need you. Listen, we all need Christ. I hope and pray that you're not too proudful to admit that. Let's humble ourselves and let's receive his love.